0: We'll be finishing up today our series on the mysteries of God. Have you guys enjoyed this series? Yeah. Okay, good. I stole better than half of it from Stuart Grieve, so I'm, I will tell him that you guys liked it. Uh, anyway, if you were not here last week, you may want to go online and listen. Um, it will make this week better because this week is basically part two of last week, uh, but I still think you'll be able to learn some stuff. Uh, Just, it will be better if you understood what we talked about last week. But just in case, and in case like many other people, uh, you've forgotten everything I said last week, even though you were here, uh, I'll review briefly and then you'll go, oh yeah, that's, I do remember him saying that, all right, if your brain works like mine. So last week we were talking, we did remember a brief history of the earth Uh, from God's perspective, why He did the things He did. And we talked about how important the Tower of Babel was, how it was a bigger deal than we thought, because it was there where the nations began to enter into idolatry. Uh, We see the sons of God, which are the fallen angels, that they begin to worship, and God comes down and He says, I'm going to separate the nations according to the sons of God. We saw that in Deuteronomy 32. And so He divides the nations, He changes all their language. He goes, you guys go worship who you want to worship. And then immediately, remember, he chooses Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you a nation. You're going to be my nation, my holy people, and you'll be my witness in the earth. And of course, that has come to down down to us as we've been grafted in the one new man. We, with every, every Jew who's ever been saved, are the Uh, witness of God in the earth. And we said that it was important that we understood the concept. Why God did that? Because God desires voluntary love. Voluntary love requires that you have a choice. If there's literally only, you know, one thing to choose from, uh, it's not voluntary love. It's obviously your only choice. And so God is not afraid of giving us choices. It, it actually scares me how willing God is to give us the things we want and how often He will give people over. You know, oh, you want a king? Right, here you go. Are you sure? Here's what's going to happen. And, uh, and He'll just give us those things we ask for because He wants voluntary love. He wants us to choose with all the choices being on the table, right? You guys remember that from last week. And then we ended last week saying In Revelation chapter 10, verse 6, right near the seventh trumpet, the seventh trumpet being what announces the coming of Jesus to gather His church and uh, deal with everything on the earth, so forth. Uh, Anyway, the second coming. uh, He says in Revelation 10, 6, there will be delay no longer. And I posed the question, uh, what's this delay? And I told you I would tell you this week, so here we are. The delay is in fact... Uh, the mystery of lawlessness. There are actually two mysteries here, but I'll get to the second one in a minute because they're basically the same thing under two different names. All right, so today we're looking at the mystery of lawlessness. You can feel free to follow along with your notes. We'll pop verses up there, or you can just listen or check Facebook. We won't know. Um, So I want to get a kind of a definition of lawlessness in a broader sense. Obviously, Uh, You know, to be lawful means to follow the law. In this case, we're talking about God's law. To be lawless means I'm not following the law, I'm doing what I want. That's pretty basic. But I want you to understand it in terms of God's plan and the things we talked about with the nations last week. Uh, we, We looked at Psalm 2 last week. Lawlessness is basically the rage of the nations against God and against His rule. It's basically the nations going, we want to pick our own gods. We don't want to be ruled by you. In Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3, we see this, where he says, the nations rage, rage. The nations are ticked off. Why are they ticked off? We have to get out from under the rule of God and His Son. We feel constrained. It's all right there. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3. The nations rage, and they plot, how do we get free of God's rule? How do we silence this voice in the earth, which is, as I told you last week, why Israel and now the church is persecuted? Because it's, they don't. The devil doesn't care about Israel or you. He cares about silencing God's witness in the earth, because the nations are raging under his influence. Going, we have to get rid of the rule of law, the the law of God. You understand? Uh, and then we see it again. And again, it's right around the seventh trumpet when Christ comes, in Revelation 11, uh, verse 18, where it says, the nations were angry. So it clearly tells us the state of the nations at the time of Jesus' coming. They are not happy. We have angry nations. Anybody seeing any of that going on? All right. We may be be headed that way. Uh, So it's pretty for sure Uh, we're going to have angry nations at the end. And so there are four verses in Matthew that I want to look at that talk about lawlessness uh, just so we have a good feel of what lawlessness looks like because what I'm going to end up recommending to you by the end of this teaching is that you don't engage in lawlessness because it's going to end badly, okay? Uh, That's the short story. So in Matthew 7, 23, what's going on here, Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount and he's describing people who are saying things like, Jesus, Jesus, uh, we used your name. We prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. We've been using your name, Jesus. And this is his response to them. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. That's significant. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So he's saying, I don't care that you use my name. You didn't know me. You didn't submit to me. You didn't come under me. You used my name, but you did your own thing, right? Has anybody met someone who uses Jesus' name but does their own thing? Yeah, it's all over, isn't it? This is dangerous. I want you to understand, this is lawlessness at work in the earth. It reject, pardon me, rejects submission to Jesus uh, for having a own way. Probably will do partial submission. I'll do these things. That Jesus says, but that one and that one and that one, I got to have my own way on those, right? So this is dangerous. Matthew twenty three twenty eight. He's this is an interesting chapter. Uh, if you just feel like railing on someone, sometimes you can read this. It's Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and it's full of woes. I think there's seven or eight woes in there. I didn't count them, but it's woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you. It just again and again and again. And in one of those woes, in verse twenty eight, he says, even so. You outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again, you look righteous. Everybody's looking up to you, and you're doing the things, and you're very religious, and you sacrifice the right animals at the right time, and you tell people caught in adultery they need to be stoned, and you do all that good stuff. Uh, But inside, there's lawlessness. You're also committing adultery and just not letting anybody find out. And uh, and it's hypocrisy, right? So we see that um, lawlessness literally can be a false religion. It is it is an, a religion that's concerned with outward appearance and the fear of man. And so it ends up being hypocritical. Outwardly you appear righteous to men. So basically what this one's saying is, I don't care what I look like to God. I just want men to think I'm righteous. And so if men say, well, this is how you love people, this is the righteous thing to do, I'll do that, even if God says exactly the opposite. You understand? Does anyone see this in the earth? Okay. So uh, it is this false religion, this outward appearance, this fear of man, which causes hypocrisy. I say this is right, but I don't do it because I really don't care about my insides. I only care about how I look to you. All right, Matthew 24, context of this chapter is they've asked Jesus what are the signs of the end times, and he spent an entire chapter telling them what are going to be the signs of the end times. One of them is an increase in lawlessness. And he says, and because lawlessness will abound or increase, or there'll be a lot of it, so understand, in the end times, will there be more or less lawlessness? More. Any questions? Not hard. Not hard. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So there's an inverse, a direct inverse relationship here. As lawlessness increases, and it will in the end times, there will also be an increase in cruelty or a decrease in love. A decrease in love means an increase in cruelty. Anyone been shocked lately at some cruelty they've seen in the news? Thought, wow, I didn't think we were that bad, All right? As lawlessness increases, cruelty will increase. You know why? Because lawlessness is basically self-love, isn't it? I've got to have my way. Why is the love of many growing cold? Well, I can't love you and love me. One of us has got to suffer. And it's going to be you. I love me. And if you make me uncomfortable about loving me, I'm going to hit you and yell at you, Amen. and rage, because i got to get out from under this rule. Don't be a witness for God around me because it'll make me angry. Now, we don't actually see this anywhere, do we? Like every day in the news, right? You see what's going on? So, lawlessness is increasing, and it is, again, self-love. Contrast this, in just a minute, we're going to get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which talks a lot about lawlessness and the lawless one. That's where we find this mystery mentioned. Uh, But before we get there, I want to look at verse 10. Um, Because if lawlessness is self-love, look at 2 Thessalonians 2.10. It says that there's going to be a people in the last days that are deceived because they refused to receive the love of the truth. You pick up your Bible and you go, huh, this says what I'm doing is wrong. But these people say it's not wrong. Am I going to love truth, or am I going to love me? And am I going to fear men? It's a very simple choice, isn't it? Well, simple to understand, not always simple to make. And so we have to decide, all of us, are we going to love truth? It's very dangerous to give up, to compromise on loving truth, um, because it leads to deception. Right, It's clearly what that verse says. They're deceived because they did not receive a love of the truth. God will freely give us a love of the truth. And understand, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. His word is truth. It's very easy to find it, isn't it? But it requires us submitting to his word, not contorting his word and trying to make it submit to us. And then finally... In Matthew 13, 41, Jesus says, he's talking about the end times here, again, he says, The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. Understand that lawlessness is a different kingdom. It's the currency of a different kingdom. If we choose lawlessness, we're choosing an earthly kingdom over God's kingdom. There are pleasures in the earthly kingdoms. There are good things there. Uh, but if we have to make a choice, and we will, in various areas of our lives between two kingdoms, understand choosing the earthly kingdom over the kingdom of God is choosing lawlessness. So I'd rather have my way than God's way. Very simple, yeah? So now that we understand lawlessness, let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, before I read this, Uh, I have to uh, give a a caution here. I'm about to step on some eschatological toes. I'm going to try and be very gentle. All right? But, yes. Oh, end times. (laughs) Uh, A lot of argument over end-time theology. I'm just going to try and teach you what the Bible says and not present all the different things. But understand... I'm getting ready to read a verse that has a very common interpretation, and that common interpretation is because there's been a popular theology around the rapture, and the way this verse has been interpreted is uh, people take this theology around the rapture and use that to interpret this verse instead of using the other verses around it to interpret it. So what we're going to do this morning is not assume that that theology is correct and force this verse to fit it. Uh, We're going to actually interpret this verse by the verses around it, okay? Is that gentle enough? All right, if you want to argue later, uh, see me after vacation. All right. (laughs) 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. We're going to really, this theme starts in chapter 1. About halfway through and goes all the way through chapter 2. But we're just going to look at selective verses. It says, and now you know what is restraining or the delay. Remember I told you there's a delay. Jesus says in uh, Revelation 10, there'll be no more delay. I'm done delaying, I'm coming. So what's the delay? Well, here it is. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's not just something that's going to happen, it's something that is happening right now as we speak. We should be aware of this, right? The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And just to help you out, the Greek could literally be translated there until he is revealed from the midst. So it doesn't, it means more, it has more to do with being revealed than removed. Um. But he will be removed. We'll read about that in the next verse. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That sounds kind of exciting, right? Okay, so it's pretty clear there in verse 8 who he's talking about. What I want to submit to you is he's been talking about that same guy in verse 6 and 7, and we missed it because we interpreted this verse from a theology uh, instead of from what's going on in the passage. Let me show you. First of all, uh, we have to ask what is being delayed, and it's not what you think. Um, The context of this entire section from halfway through chapter 1 all the way through chapter 2 is Christ's coming. That's what's being delayed. In context, he's saying, let me talk to you. In fact, in verse 1, I'll just read it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. And by the way, that is one event, not two. There isn't a second coming and then a, a fake second coming and then a second coming or a coming to A and coming to B. He's just coming with all the saints with Him. Right? Jude. He's coming with all the saints, with tens, thou- tens of thousands of saints. So... Uh, That's what's being talked about here, the coming of our Lord and our gathering together to Him. So, in that context, what's being delayed is His coming. Why is His coming being delayed, you ask? I'm glad you asked. The delay is so that the lawless one can be fully revealed. And it really is that simple. In verses 3 and 4, we see this. So we're going back just a couple verses from the one I read. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, what day is that day? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, the one that's being delayed. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is God, or that is called God, or that is worship. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Of course, we know from other passages that the Antichrist will literally sit in the temple in Jerusalem and want to be worshiped and declare himself as God. He is referred to in Daniel 11 and 12 as the abomination of desolation who, you remember, he recommends that when that happens, it's a good time to get out of Jerusalem. <laughs> uh, when that guy's sitting in the temple, you should go hide. <laughs> All right? So, we know who this is. And so, what he's saying is the delay is until the lawless one is fully revealed. In other words, it's as if God's saying, I'm not coming, and he very clearly is saying this. We saw this in verse 4 I'm not coming until the Antichrist has fully played his hand. I'm going to let him sit in the temple. I'm going to let everyone have a choice. You want him? You want Jesus? There he is, right there. You want to worship him? Go ahead. And then I'll come and destroy him with the brightness of my appearing. Right? And so this is what's going on. Now, let's go back, just to make sure you got this. Let's go back and look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 8. And... Uh, We're not going to switch, we're just going to assume he's talking about the lawless one in this entire passage. And so he says, and now you know what is restraining the revealing of the lawless one, that he, the lawless one, may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he, the lawless one, who now restrains, because I'm not going to show up until he's played his hand will do so until he is taken out of the way or revealed from the midst, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. It's very straightforward, isn't it? It makes perfect sense. And that's what it translates to or interprets as in the context of the Scriptures around it. And so it's important that we see this because, again, The principle I talked about last week is in play, this principle of uh, God wants voluntary love, and so he will let things play out. So what we see going on is lawlessness is at work. Now, again, it's important we see this because he said there's two things that absolutely will happen. I'm not coming before these two things. One of them is the revealing of the lawless one. What was the other one? Great falling away. What's going to cause the falling away? People choosing the lawless one. We need to get this. We need to understand what it means for lawlessness to be at work in the earth. Because uh, people who we think are in the church, and you can decide whether they really were or not, I don't care, just at the end of the day, they're going to fall away because they've been lured into lawlessness because of the lawless one, right? Because that's a valid choice. It just doesn't end well. And so he says here, uh, lawlessness is at work. We see a parallel verse of this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, where John says, um, uh, the Antichrist is coming, and he says, in fact, there have been many Antichrists, or in other words, lawlessness is at work. He goes, and by this we know that we're near the end, the Antichrist. So I want you to understand that the work of the Antichrist is the sign that the end is near, as we see lawlessness increasing. The literal revealing of the Antichrist is the sign that Jesus is coming again, because he's not coming until that guy is revealed. Verse 4, um, I'm sorry, verse 3 of Second Thessalonians 2 could not be more clear. I am not coming until the man of lawlessness is revealed. And so there's a whole doctrine of imminence. Jesus could come any time. Nope, he's not coming today or tomorrow. Because the man of lawlessness hasn't been revealed? Right. That sign will happen. Okay? Now, we don't know when, and it could be soon, because we definitely see lawlessness increasing. But we need to understand these things so we understand, uh, so that we're fighting a good fight the whole time. So we understand how to stand against lawlessness in the earth uh, as we're continuing this. And so, the lawless lawlessness is at work in the earth, but it's not complete yet. And that's the thing. Jesus will let it be complete. I love this example. In Genesis chapter 15, uh, God has just made a covenant with Abraham. And he's talking to Abraham about what's going to happen in the future. And he goes, hey, I'm going to make you a great big nation. I'm going to send you off to Egypt. You're going to be slaves for a while. Uh, Like 400 years. And I'll bring you into this land. He goes, "Uh, I will bring you into this land. I'm not giving it to you yet because the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. Now, let me get this straight, God. You're saying that the Amorites are full of iniquity. Yes, they are. And ultimately, you're going to send Israel in and destroy the entire nation. Yeah, they got to go. But you're waiting 400 years. Yeah, they're not done. I'm going to wait until their iniquity is complete, and then I'm going to destroy them. Now, this is just the way God rolls. Apparently, He's not scared of the devil, or our sin, or our choices, he will let it play out. He'll just deal with it in his time when it's appropriate, all right? And so this is what he's doing again. So God will let lawlessness fully play out. Why? Voluntary love. You get to choose the Antichrist if you want to, and he will let the Antichrist play his hand so that you can choose him if you want to. I don't recommend it, but there you have it. The other thing is this. God will publicly, very publicly, execute judgment. Rachel was kind of talking about this earlier this morning. Uh, he's going to make a deal of this. He's going to make a show. He, it'll be public. In 2 Thessalonians 2.8, we just saw, he will consume him with the breath of his mouth. With the brightness of his coming, does that sound quiet to you? No, no. that's going to make CNN. <laughs> that's going to make every channel, right? Colossians two fifteen, here uh, we're talking about the cross, and, and Jesus is work on the cross, and He says, "Having disarmed principalities and powers." Remember, that's those sons of God that fell. That the nations are worshiping. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That was when they saw Jesus rise again from the dead and figured out what the cross was about and went, Oh, dang, we screwed this one up. Right? Public triumph. It's going to be like that again. He's going to publicly triumph over Satan And over these fallen angels. That's just the way he rolls. So, you know what that means? That means he is not secretly, quietly, shh, going to remove his church. While no one's looking, we get up. Hey, where'd the church go? They left last night. Jesus snuck in and took them. Not the way he does things. That's what you're hoping for. It's not going to happen. Revelation one seven talks about his coming, and it says how many eyes will see him? Every eye. Every eye. No one's going to miss it when he comes. He's going to ride across the heavens. Jude tells us he comes, or he quotes Enoch saying he comes with tens of thousands of his saints. This is going to be visible and public and a big deal. He even does like lighting effects because the sun and the moon are darkened so that when He shows up in glory, it's even more spectacular. It's like the house lights go down, bam, Jesus in His glory with tens of thousands of His saints, and once again, it's on every news channel, every house, right? Are you getting a feel for all this? Not only is He going to deal with Satan publicly, He will deal with the nation's publicly. Remember, this is about the nations. Remember going back to Babel, and he said, okay, you got you nations all want to worship your own gods, go ahead. He goes, here's what I'm going to do right before I come. I'm going to gather all you nations into the valley of Megiddo, and we'll have a talk. Yeah. Right? right? We see that in Joel, Zechariah, Revelation. Uh, it's called Armageddon, or valley of Megiddo uh, in Revelation. It's not a event, it's a place. It's the, it's the valley of where Jesus gathers all the nations so that he can judge them publicly before Jerusalem, the city they're attacking. In fact, uh, I love in Joel, that's the verse in Joel 3, where it talks about multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Now, don't misunderstand that verse. He's not talking about the armies of the nations gathering in Megiddo and deciding, you know, well... Satan's got a pretty good army, but he was real shiny when he came. Who should we pick? That's not what it means by decision. It means a decision of a judge. Multitudes, multitudes uh, have been called together to hear the rendering of the judge. The decision is lots of blood, right? He's going to wipe them out. Again, publicly, you get this picture. And so this is just God doing what God does. He gives us choice and then he deals with our choice, right? Okay, now, this is the mystery of lawlessness at work. This is why the delay, because God will let lawlessness play out. But there's actually one other mystery, which I'm dealing with this one because it's really the same mystery. Uh, in Revelation 17:5, 5, uh, it talks about mystery Babylon, this great city. And uh Without, I don't want to read all of it, it's like Revelation 17 and 18, it's a lot of reading, and you're familiar with it, Uh, so I'm going to summarize in a lot of ways, but I want to look at some things here, because I want to see, I want you to get how this applies to us. Uh, The the bottom line is, you don't want to be living there, uh, and it is a worldwide Babylon, so it's a spiritually living there. You don't want to be living there when Jesus comes, got it? Uh, Anyway, we'll talk about that. So, Revelation 17, 5, Mystery Babylon, it's the same demonic religious system that we saw at the Tower of Babel. It's the same lawlessness that we see going on in the mystery of lawlessness. It's really the same thing, okay? But what we see in Revelation 18 especially, the whole chapter is kind of describing it, and we see that this Mystery Babylon, this worldwide city that... Uh, maybe it's a city and its influence is worldwide. You can decide how you want to interpret that. Uh, but it definitely has worldwide influence. It says that uh, it's denoted by wickedness and wealth. Lots of wealth and lots of wickedness, iniquity. All right? And also, and this is interesting, there's like eight or nine verses just talking about all the things that this city trades in. So. It's all about trade and indulgence. You can get wealthy through this city by trade. In fact, it says the nations were, were they were lamenting and weeping because they had gotten wealthy through mystery Babylon, and now that's gone because uh, the city is destroyed with fire, right? And they stand afar off and weep because their source of wealth is gone. And uh, it was known for... Uh, indulgence. you indulgence, could, you could, it talks in the list of all the things that you could buy and sell there. The last one in the list is the bodies and souls of men. You could go buy people there. This is an evil city or an evil culture or an evil world, false religion. Again, the same thing we talked about in this religion of Babel. With me? Okay. Now, the trade thing stood out to me. And uh, this, is in, this is weird, so stay with me, but I'll make it make sense in a minute because I think it, it comes around. So uh, it's clear that this mystery Babylon, it, it's all about trade and about the nations getting wealthy. And again, it's about the nations. It's about the nations choosing to align themselves with this false world religion because there is benefit. There is trade and there is indulgence. There are pleasures to be had, all right? Now, before I say all this, as I get into this, I am not against wealth or pleasure. Uh, at Jesus' right hand are pleasures is forevermore. Uh, and He gives us the power to gain wealth, and He has no sorrow to it. So go ahead and get wealth if you want. What I'm against is compromising our relationship with Jesus for wealth or pleasure. That's right. Okay? You understand the difference. So don't, you know, I'm not saying let's all be, you know, move out of Whatever. I said, I don't want you living in Babylon, but it's a worldwide system, so you, you can't leave the world. You're going you're gonna to have neighbors and people at work who don't know Jesus. You're still going to relate to them. You're still going to be a salt and light. You're still going to love them. It's in our hearts that we don't move in with that culture, right? Okay, so everybody gets that. Those are my qualifiers. So here's the interesting thing. I, I started looking at how much Babylon mystery of Babylon, it had to do with trade, it had to do with people getting wealthy. I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I started thinking about Ezekiel 28. Now, in Ezekiel 28, it's a passage where it's, it's talking about the king of Tyre, but it's clearly describing Satan. Uh, you guys are probably familiar with this passage. He's the covering cherub who is real real pretty and used to lead worship in heaven until iniquity was found in him and he was cast down, Right? So I want you to see this. I'm going to pick up, so that's the context. We're reading about Satan as described by Ezekiel. And I'm going to read 16, in your notes it just says verse 16, but uh, since then and last night I expanded it to 16 through 19, so stay with me. Um, so starting with verse 16, again, consider who we're talking about. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sin. Now, I don't totally understand this, but apparently uh, Satan is very into trading. And uh, now we know Satan is very into control and manipulation, and so I think it's about that. I think it's about this mystery Babylon city and about, I, I just want you to see what a big deal trade is, what a potential trap this is, okay? And then he goes on, therefore I cast you Uh, as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones, because you used to get to walk around in them. It says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, right? And you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground, I laid you before kings, that they might gaze at you. And I think this is the future when Satan is cast down. You defiled your sanctuaries. By the multitude of your iniquities and by the iniquity of your trading. There's that trading thing again. And then from here on out, I want you to, I didn't read it to you, but uh, understand if you read uh, Revelation 17 and 18, the city of Babylon, uh, the nations turn and the city of Babylon is destroyed by fire. Right? In a day. And her smoke rises up and the ships sit afar off and lament. Think of these verses here. In terms of the context of that, uh, you defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst; it devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you, all who knew you among the peoples. Were astonished at you. You become a horror and shall be no more forever. Doesn't that sound like the destruction of Babylon. So again, it's that public judgment of God against the what the Revelation calls the whore of Babylon, or this world system. So in Babel, he said, all right, worship the other gods. Have at it. But at the end of the day, uh, I will destroy Babylon. I will destroy that world system with fire, and I'll deal with the nations. And the ones who pick that one are not going to go well. You see the big picture? And so here's what I thought about. I thought this trade thing might be a bigger deal than we think about. Remember First Corinthians? I'm sorry, First Timothy six ten says, "For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil." Ooh, sounds like loving money is dangerous. Doesn't say money's evil. It says loving it will lead to evil. So, oh, we, we're, apparently in the last days we're going to have to be really careful that we aren't too tied to our, you know, retirement accounts or whatever might cause us to compromise. Notice in Revelation, uh, where am I at? Revelation 13:17, the mark of the beast. What don't you get to do unless you take the mark of the beast? Trade, buy and sell, right? Now understand, the mark of the beast isn't. Oh, I went to Publix and they stamped my hand. I didn't realize and now I'm going to hell. It's. (laughs) It's. Yes. It's a decision to worship the Antichrist. He demands worship. And the mark of the beast is people signing up to worship him, saying, yes, I will worship him. Tied with that is, yes, I get to buy and sell. understand. So this is about that. But what I want you to see is this is the old carrot and stick thing. The whole deal at the end of the age is about comfort, about our ability to trade, take care of ourselves. The nations are getting wealthy. And Satan comes along, and he says, here's the carrot. You can you can indulge yourself in mystery Babylon, in lawlessness, and you can trade, and you can gain wealth, and you can feed your kids. That's the carrot. The stick is, if you don't worship me, I'm going to kill you. And you can't, if I can't find you, you still can't trade or eat or anything. So one way or another, I'm going to have control until Jesus comes and destroys Him with the brightness of His coming, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah? So, do you see what's going on in the big picture? We have voluntary love at play and the choice all along, and the choice at the end of the day is really this simple. It is the choice of earthly comfort versus eternal life. It really is that simple, and it's always been that simple. Um, Am I going to choose my 501K or eternal life? Am I going to choose being able to keep my job so I can feed my kids or eternal life? How much am I willing to compromise? How far am I willing to go into Mystery Babylon to maintain comfort or pleasure, right? Or how much am I willing to indulge in the fear of man and not rock the boat so that I can keep taking care of myself? instead of having to lean on God taking care of me, or even have to embrace maybe dying for the kingdom of God. Now this is not a new choice. On the other side of your notes, I want to look at a couple of verses. Just to show you, this is not a new choice. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 24 through 27, Jesus very clearly delineates this choice. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You get it? What's the choice? Life on earth or life in eternity? You got to pick one. You Can't really embrace both. One will suffer by embracing the other. All right. And again, doesn't mean God doesn't want to bless. Doesn't mean God doesn't want to give you good things. We might, you know, you, you we might make it out of this thing in our houses, being happy and you know, eating bacon. I just went for the best thing I could think of. Uh, Amen. Amen. There are pleasures in the kingdom. All right, uh, but we might not, and that choice as darkness increases, as lawlessness increases in the earth, this choice may become very pointed, all right? So whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then he goes on, for what does it profit, or for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, all right? Mystery Batma is all about having wealth and luxury and the things you want. But it'll cost you your soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in His glory, I'm sorry, in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then, oh yeah, they'll be there too, I forgot. Uh, and then He will reward each according to His works. So, what's the encouragement here? To live for the reward that comes from Jesus when He returns, All right. Say, now I can... I can have everything that Babylon offers, or I could trade that in for door number two. What's in door number two? Oh, it's, it's a, whatever reward Jesus wants to give me for putting the kingdom ahead of the kingdoms of this earth. I'm going to take door number two. Amen. Right? Now, here's what I want you to see. Not only does Jesus lay out this choice, uh, it has been the choice since this whole thing with the nations began. Let's look at Moses' choice way back As Egypt, in Egypt, I'm sorry, as Israel is just getting ready to come out. In Hebrews 11, see if this sounds familiar, verse 24 through 26. For by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Remember, he was Pharaoh's daughter's kid. He's royalty. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. It's a very clear choice, wasn't it? Mm, I can be afflicted with the people of God or lots of fun partying in Egypt. And, you know, we chose. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Right? You remember the two things that we saw in Mystery Babylon? Indulgence and wealth. Passing pleasures of sin and the treasures of Egypt? It's interesting that in the last days, Israel itself is described as Egypt and Babylon. All right? Because they've fallen for the lie, which is why we're praying for them. And so, in the earth, all this is going on. It's the same two choices, pleasure and treasure. And Moses didn't choose Babylon. Babylon. He didn't choose pleasure and treasure, for he looked to the reward. Isn't that awesome? It's so important that we see that lawlessness is at work, and that we have vision for eternity, an eternal perspective. This is why, in Revelation 18, verses 4 and 5, again, talking about Mystery Babylon, this is why Jesus says, or the angel says, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. In other words, just like the Amorites, lawlessness has reached its completion, and Jesus has decided uh, Babylon's going down now. And you don't want to be living there, In your spirit, again, I'm talking about spiritual you, not literal you. You don't want to be living there when Babylon goes down. There is lawlessness already at work in the earth. Can you see it? And it wants to allure you. And we have to continually resist its allure. It wants to draw you just a little bit. Now, here's what some people do. Some people go, well, I'm not going to live right in Babylon but the suburbs are okay. I don't go downtown very often. I'm just out here in the suburbs of Babylon, little compromise, little little this, little that. Not realizing I grew up in the suburbs of a big city, not realizing that lawlessness will increase and before you know it, your house is within the city limits. And you've been deceived and Jesus is coming and you're living in the wrong city. That's right. You understand? Yeah. I want you to hear, I want you to see the big picture so that we know lawlessness is at work in the earth. We got to be able to identify it. And you know, no, no, no. I'm going to love truth, not me. I'm going to not compromise with these little lawlessnesses. There's a lot of churches doing it. There are churches publicly doing it, publicly compromising changing things, well, I know the Bible says this, but we're going to do it this way, right? I say, if you ain't going to do the Bible, just throw it out and have fun because this is it. you spend the rest of eternity in hell anyway. Go for it. Why do part of it, right? Wallace, this is already at work. All right, let me encourage you because that's a little bit of a bummer. Um I want to finish with this, because we talked in Revelation 10.6 about there being a delay. Jesus says, I'm delaying. We now know that the delay is the fullness of lawlessness. I'm delaying until the Antichrist actually sets himself up in the temple of God. Then I'm going to come, and and I'm, and it's on, baby, right? Now, I want to show you a picture of this that you find in Isaiah 42, because we see a really cool picture of Jesus in his zeal when the delay is over. What is Jesus' attitude? Let me read this for you Isaiah 42, verses 13 through 14. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man, he shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out yes, he shall shout aloud, he shall prevail against his enemies. I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. But now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. Do you get the attitude? That's the end of the delay. That's Jesus coming to deal with the earth and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, here's what I really love. That was verses... 13 through 14, in verses 10 through 12, we get a picture of the church right before Jesus comes. You know what they're doing? They're worshiping. They're singing songs. Get this, guys. Tribulation is in the earth. The church is being persecuted. Martyrs are being martyred. And throughout the earth, we hear songs. Songs of praise. The church is singing songs. The church is singing worship. We also read, I put the verses in here. I'm not going to go read them. We also read that they're singing about the salvation of Israel because they've understood what's coming. And and that he's going to come to Jerusalem. He's going to save Israel. They're singing songs. I love this, that Jesus, right before he comes, I think he's just going, I can't take it anymore. They're being persecuted and they're singing to me about how much they love me. I have had enough. I am coming like a woman in labor. I'm going to gasp and yell. I'm coming like a man of war. I'm going to deal with the enemies of God. And this thing is on. That is, to me, a little bit more encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. I get that I may be singing from jail. That I may be martyred. Uh, these, uh, you know, I'm a pastor. I might be a fairly high target. I don't know. Amen. Maybe not. I might, I might be old by then. They might go, eh, who cares? He's, he's old. I don't know. But I want to be a part of that church. I want to be the part of the church that's singing in the midst of tribulation. Going, Babylon's got nothing on us. Lawlessness? Nah. No appeal. Those pleasures, no appeal. I got my own pleasures in the Lord. I'm submitted to His rule. Um, I can st- I can see the reward on the horizon. Behold, I'm coming and my reward is with me. Jesus is bringing me a reward. No thank you, world. I'm just going to sing songs to Him here in my little jail cell. Who wants to be a part of that church? Yeah. Awesome. Amen. Now, I don't know what's going to befall us. I don't know what's going to befall your kids. But we know truth. Uh, this is the mystery that we now have. We now understand this mystery. So we don't have to be deceived. We can be, we can receive the love of the truth. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's do this. Rachel, you want to come back up? With the band and, you know. we got about Ten minutes. Uh, let's just let's just end how we're going to end on Earth. Let's just worship, <laughs> Amen. So, as the band gets ready, uh, did you have something, babe? Sometimes Rachel wants to uh, fix whatever I've said, so I want to give her that opportunity. Did you have something you wanted to share? Oh, I didn't. Okay.
1: Um, so when Tony was talking, I and he's talking about the delay and sometimes the Lord will drop down even lower and talk to us where we're at. I think some of you in the room have been in that the time of hasn't happened yet in what you're praying for, even in your own life, maybe wanting to be free of something in your own life, praying for a child or family member, still so taking that principle of God saying the Amalekites, is that them? Amalekites, their iniquity isn't done yet. But, but in you, it's that waiting for that deliverance, waiting for God to move. There's a season, but the person that you're praying for. And I just felt like the Lord wanted to encourage you. I still see you. I still hear you. Even if it's something that you are struggling to get over, there is a mark on the calendar, a season in the calendar when he will move in your life, and that will end. So hang in there with him because you come up leaning on your beloved Song of Solomon 8. You come up leaning, and so don't get discouraged in the waiting. But as you keep praying and you keep asking, he's going to meet you there, and he begins to change you and reveal little by little who he is. And that's ultimately what he's after, to change you to look like him. So don't get discouraged in that season of waiting. Just keep leaning into him and keep singing praises throughout the earth right sing praises throughout your house sing praises to you that will change you and mark you and keep you in it until he meets you in
0: that so stand with me i just want to pray and then we're just going to end with a worship song lord my prayer this morning uh, was just a declaration of romans 8 that i am convinced we are convinced with paul that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And So we ask you to reveal us, reveal Church on the Rock, reveal the church in Brevard County and in Florida as the sons and daughters of God that creation is waiting to be revealed. Lord it is more important to us to be revealed as sons and daughters of God. Where we're just going to worship you and trust you.